maybe uh, we'll just bow our heads for five seconds and ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Father, please uh, bless us with, with uh, your abundance of reassurance and encouragement, truth and love. Uh, may everything be that we uh, share together be to thy glory. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So, you know, uh, real true thankfulness is of God, just like true love is of God. So to the extent that anyone has been thankful in this Thanksgiving season, that's like a response to God's Spirit. And to the extent to which any of us are surrendered to Christ and allowing Him to live in us, I wouldn't be surprised that there are a lot of people in our communities who are actually thankful for you. Because through you, Christ was able to touch them. And they may not have expressed it to you, but I'm sure that there are many people in our community thankful for us because they're thankful for Christ. And one of the things that I'm thankful for regarding this Honoka'a church is that God has seen fit to answer so many prayers of this congregation in a very obvious and pronounced way. You think about the people whom we've prayed for healing for. And uh, what is it, 100% track record? I have no doubt that little Caleb is going to be healed. He, you know, he, he may have this wicked disease of rat lung disease, which is terrible. But, but to bring glory to God's name, to bring souls into salvation for eternity, I would expect that the prayer of faith on behalf of Caleb will be answered once again by a wonderful God who obviously wants to see this church on fire for him and moving forward into the community allowing allowing our lives to be used totally and completely by the god of the of salvation the king of the universe now something that that auntie uh, joyce shared with us at the church board meeting which was a great blessing to me was the thought that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. You may want to turn to it, but you, you, know that, you know this scripture. There's a different way of saying it, uh, a legitimate translation, but the scripture that you're familiar with in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, is we walk by faith, not by sight. And as, as uh, Auntie Joyce shared and expressed, it could also be um, expounded, it could also be said that where we can no longer see with our earthly human eyes, that's where faith begins. And wow, what a blessing that was to me. I'll share it with you because it could be a great blessing to you. Because when do we feel that we most need faith? It's usually not because we're contemplating salvation. 
You know, if you're like me, it's when we're in trouble. We got a problem, we got a dilemma, we got this, we got that going on of a negative. And we need God's help. We sense that we need God's help, right? And what's, what's been my problem has been, I'm like the, the man who comes to Jesus and says, if, if, you, if you can, heal my child. And Jesus says to him, all things are possible to those who have faith. And the man realizes that he's been, he, even though he's coming to Jesus, he's exercising doubt simultaneously. And he realizes his dilemma and he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I have, I have faith, but I'm faltering. Please help me, you know. And this is the dilemma that I found myself in for 40 years. Enough faith to come to God, not enough faith to get real comfortable, enthusiastic, confident, and happy that he's taking care of it. 100%. And, and the, the blessing of the, of, my, of the understanding that we can have about the faith experience from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, is that faith really begins when we can't see the answer. You see, too often we're asking God to help something work out. We can see how it can work out. Now, if he'll just do that for us, then we'll be all right. You see, human sight is still wanting to solve the problem. We're asking God to come on board with his power and do it, you might say, our way. That's not really faith. Real faith says, Lord, you're the king of the universe. Lord, your truth, your goodness, your love, I'm just really a sinner in great need of, of salvation. And in this particular case, I need help with an earthly problem, or maybe a spiritual problem, but I need help with a problem. Now I'm going to trust you, I choose to trust you to solve this problem for me. I trust you. I exercise the God-given faith that you've given me. If I need more faith to do that, I ask for it. And I say, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, give me more faith so that I can completely leave this with you completely. And now I'm going to walk by faith. And in walking by faith, what does God promise us? He promises us happiness and peace. And, and a life much more abundant than we could ever have without that experience of faith in him, right? Furthermore, he tells us that it's that experience that is a much, a much easier way to go through life. Isn't that amazing? You know, a lot of times we look at Christianity as just one more hard thing that we've decided for whatever reason, you know, to take on, right? The Christian, oh, the, to, live, to live the worldly life, to go with the flow, to compromise, you know, to work on Sabbath if you've got to, to make a living, that's much easier than the Christian life and uh, trying prayerfully to be obedient. I mean, that's commonly the interpretation, right? 
But Jesus says, if you, if you, if you become, if you ask to become like me, meek and lowly, and take on my yoke, yoke up with me, walk with me, you're going to find out that my yoke is easy. The world's yoke is hard and rough. But my yoke is easy and my burden is light by comparison to that. So that's exciting to me. Every time now, I hope, I pray, that every time that I experience the stress of a trial or a tribulation, that I will see it as the blessing of God giving me an opportunity to now experience what this is really all about, which is faith. Trusting Him, because it's through trusting God that the transformation takes place. In fact, we don't even get forgiveness in reality until we trust Him to give us that forgiveness. So if we're not trusting Him to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to change us, and to make us able to live for eternity with him in a perfect world, a perfect world of love, trust, goodness, and all the wonderful virtues of God's Spirit. If we, you see, if we can't, if we can't trust him for that, we're probably not trusting him for forgiveness, or we're not valuing that forgiveness, is what I'm thinking. Because faith is faith is faith. You trust God for all of this, the salvation, for the whole package. Now, <clears throat> you know, to, I think it's important that we go through, that we the experience and, and enjoy some of, the, some of the basic aspects of what this is all about, of our experience with Christ, if for no other reason than to rejoice in the whole plan of salvation, but also to remind us of what we can share with others who have the same need that we have for salvation. I, what I have found is anytime God gives you a blessing in terms of enlightenment about salvation, there are going to be people probably that weak that you can share that truth with. That's been my experience. Now, as a professional helper, I meet a lot of people. So I have more opportunity probably than the average person. But I'm thinking that as long as, as one of our ministries is to be a helper, and we can all be a helper to some extent, it's just like acting out you know, God's goodness toward others, to the extent that, we're, that we want to have a ministry of helping, God is going to put people in, in each one of our lives with whom we can share a wonderful truth or help that God has given us even that week. And, but in addition to those opportunities, there's going to be the opportunity to explain the plan of salvation to people, too, who want to know about it. And so, the, the, the title of the sermon, the theme, in, in, in many ways, is that it comes from 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is just 10 verses after, the, you know, what we were talking about, we walk by faith, not by sight. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
the old has gone and the new has come. So, so here's, here's the, uh, the, the reality of living the life of faith is that you are part of a new creation. That the God of the universe is, is in, the, in the activity, in the process of recreating you and me back into his image. And the old is passed away. Now why does the old have to pass away? Can you think of a verse? Romans 3.23 All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now I, I have met many emotional if not professed atheists or the or the egotistical agnostic who squirm and and protest but they can't get away from the reality of their own sinfulness they'll deny it verbally but they can't get away from it that even the best of us how many of us became christians to some extent some of us because the very best that you could do you you began to to realize was marred by sin. Your best intentions, your best at attempts at a relationship with another person just seem to be tainted by something negative. Your own selfishness your, or sinfulness, something was always there. That's what the atheist or the so-called agnostic can't seem to get away from, though they want to. And that's the reality. So where do we get this sinfulness, right? We're, we're, we were born with it because our first father um, allowed himself to choose against God and to choose sin. Uh, if we look at uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 38, we find out what what Adam, our father, sacrificed, what he gave up. Regarding, regarding Adam, it, it tells us in, in verse 38, there was a son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. So Adam was, was created a son of God, that's what we're meant to be. But because he sinned, we're born something else. We're born son of man. And then, but fortunately, if we go to uh, chapter 3, verse 22, we find out that another son of God came to remedy our dilemma. In verse uh, 22, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, Jesus that is, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. So, considering um, 
that uh, Jesus is the Son of God and, and the Father is well pleased with him and was well pleased with him then, what was it that Jesus came to do? We know, right? For uh, 3.16 and 17, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So to believe, to believe in Jesus, really believe in Jesus, is not to believe about him, but to learn to fully have faith in him and all he came to do. That's where the transformation, that's where the transformation takes place. Now, if we, if we decide that we don't want to do that on some conscious or subconscious level, then here, here's what the scripture tells us. For to be carnally minded, to be human, typically thinking, is death. But to be spiritually minded in faith is life and peace. That's Romans 8, 6. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's Romans 8, 7, and 8. So how, how can we please God considering how much he loves us, our dilemma, and what Jesus came to bestow upon us and to give us. What does the scripture tell us? How, how can we please God? It tells us the opposite way. It says without faith, what? It is impossible to please God without faith. So the, the logical implication is if you want to please God, exercise faith. So I'm thinking that probably each one of us has accepted Christ as our personal Savior. And when you look back on your life and all of the different things that he has seen you through and all of the different helps and blessings that God has bestowed upon you and all the ways that he's shown us his goodness and his love and his mercy, I think, I think if you're like me, you would like to please God. Right? Well, what a wonderful... Every time, every time something difficult is presented in our life, what I'm, what I'm getting now and what I'm hoping everyone will get, an opportunity to please God. Perfect opportunity to please God. I can choose to exercise faith in this circumstance. And if it's not coming easy, I can ask for more faith. I can please God. It's, it's wonderful to think about it. Think of everything that we owe God. Think of how wonderful he is. Don't we want to please him? And what an opportunity to turn everything. It doesn't matter how bad things get on earth now. You know, time of trouble, things that's, you know, that your, your children, if they, if they took 
Bible studies at the wrong time in their Seventh-day Adventist childhood experience. They probably don't want to get another Bible study on last-day events ever because it just scared them. And it probably, you know, but listen, we don't have to be afraid of anything that comes on planet Earth because everything negative that comes into our life experience is a wonderful opportunity to please God. And if our goal is to please God and give glory to Him, think of what kind of tremendous blessings are coming to us and to those who are around us. God can finally save thousands of people who otherwise wouldn't get the message because He finally has people who trust Him so much that they their one thought is to bring glory to his name and to please him. What an opportunity. And what does God promise us, aside from, from rewards of, an, of a more abundant life and joy and peace on planet Earth? He promises us, well, let's see. Uh, Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 and 13 says, tells us what God's thoughts are toward us. He says, For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You shall seek me and find me when you search with me for me with all your heart. And Isaiah 65, 17 and 18 says, For, I, for behold, I create new heavens, and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. A few more, a few more of the promises regarding what we have to look forward to in terms of a reward. Second Peter 3.13 says, We, according to his promise, look for new heavens, and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Ephesians 4.23 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, the old has gone, and the new has come. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So who is the Spirit of God? Or what is... I should say who, not what. 
Well, the, it's the, the Romans 8, 11 says the spirit of him, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So the spirit of him could be Holy Spirit, tells you Holy Spirit person, him, but, um, and the father, the father, you know, uh, the angel came down and spoke to Jesus in the tomb and said, the father calls you. Uh, it sounds like Jesus, dead as a man, still alive as God. And, the, and he heard the voice of the angel and who the father calls you. So as well as the father raising Jesus to life, this Holy Spirit raising Jesus to life, Jesus raised himself to life, the resurrection. Then he who raised, and then it goes on to say in Romans 8, 11, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And guess what? Who dwells in you. So that would be another thing, you know, not only, not only should we not only do we want to please God by exercising faith, by walking in faith, but we want God to dwell in us. And dwell, you know, it's not just like he's sort of in there, sort of in there. Dwell means he occupies the territory, you know? And so I would say that, would, that should be goal number two. Aside from pleasing God, our other goal should be that he dwell in us. Well, because if he dwells in us, not only will the uh, sanctification process be completed, as in cleansed from all unrighteousness, but eternal life is a guarantee. The, would you like eternal life in, in a better place than the best spot on Hawaii? If you could live in the best spot on Hawaii, the best, might be some place on one of the high country hills of Maui, I don't know, in some $10 million mansion. But God's offering us something way, way, way better than the best spot on Hawaii. So you want it. And that's the guarantee, is let the Spirit of God dwell in us. For you are all sons of God. Another translation says children of God. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, I mean, it gets better and better. Not only are we children of God, but if we are children of God, we are heirs. We are inheritors of God's, the Father's, riches.
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Wow, that gets even better, doesn't it? Heirs of God the Father, and you, you know wh- who, how important, we have a sense of how important Jesus is to the Father. Well, we've become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And if in, and then, but it goes on to say in Romans uh, 8, 16, and 17, now, if we indeed, now here's how we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus, joint heirs with him in God's kingdom for eternity. If we indeed are willing to suffer with that we also may be glorified together with him. And I don't know, but just to be willing to suffer requires faith, doesn't it? I mean, you can't do that in your own strength. Even Jesus couldn't do it in human strength, could he? Jesus, Jesus went through Calvary by faith. He showed us how it's done. He said, not what I will, Father, but what you will. Nevertheless, what you will. I'm going to trust you in my human nature and my human brain. I can't see a way through this. In in Gethsemane, in Gethsemane, Jesus couldn't see through the portals of the tomb. He did not see how it could work out. And we're going to feel that way at times. See, he's touched in all points, right? With the feelings of our infirmities. There's nothing that we're going to experience that Jesus hasn't already actually experienced as a man. So we just have to ask him to give us faith in him to see us through whatever suffering or experience we may have. And if we enter into his sufferings with him, probably, you know, it's not so much uh, not having enough money or having this or that um, legal issue or whatever the problem may be, or health problem even. It would be suffering for something you don't deserve because you finally have learned to live. We finally learned to live for Christ. And he's getting to work and live through us and touching people's lives. And you know, people who are controlled by Satan and who don't want to be controlled by God are going to react. They don't like that. So are we willing to... See, that would be, to me, that's the real suffering of Christ, is suffering because you love God and you love others. So we can... But we can trust him. The practicalities... Of, of living the Christian life has to do with being actuated, motivated, moved, and energized by righteousness. And righteousness is the Spirit of God. 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit again that would re-enslave you into fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. That's like, that's calling our, our Heavenly Father like Daddy. So we don't have to be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. And, and so we're being told, don't go back to any kind of enslavement. You've been adopted. And you can cry out to your Heavenly Father, Daddy, Abba, Father. And Jesus said that He Himself will do for us whatever we ask. If we're in God's Spirit and we're living the life of faith, Jesus said in John 14, 14, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Not I'm going to ask the Father to see if the Father will say okay. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Because you are finally living the life of complete trust in me. So that's what I want. How about you? Can you say amen? Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What did Jesus say? Without me, you can do nothing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's Romans 8, 4. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33 If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is, from him, is born of him. 1 John 2.29 The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 and 23, you know these. The fruit of the Spirit also could be called the connection to Jesus, the true vine by the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, of all of the fruit of the Spirit, is there one in particular that's particularly helpful? Love is... Love is one of the fruit of the spirits, that God is love, that would seem to be the outstanding. Uh, faithfulness, trusting God. But you know, there's a comment, I don't have it here, but there's a comment that of all the fruit of the spirit, the one that should be most sought for by us is meekness. Because through meekness, we are able to admit the truth about ourselves, 
and to fully depend on our Heavenly Father and to be connected and stay connected to Jesus, the true vine, who's told us that without me, without that connection, you can do nothing. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I saw a new heaven, Revelation 21.1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. The fire that consumes the wicked purifies the earth. Every trace of the curse is swept away. No eternally burning hell will keep before the ransomed the fearful consequences of sin. One reminder alone remains. Our Redeemer will ever bear the marks of his crucifixion. Upon his wounded head, his hands and feet are the only traces of the cruel work that sin has wrought. I'd like you to. I'd like you to. Uh, I'd like us together to listen to a, a brief song by uh, a Seventh Day Adventist uh, singer. <laughs> 